The Black Friday shopping mania is still playing out tonight at malls across America. Retailers opening their doors earlier than ever to a crush of frenzied shoppers lured by seductive doorbuster deals. And at this Best Buy in New York City, they have been open since 6 p.m. last night. People waiting outside, coming in in waves because it is at capacity. Analysts anticipate Americans will spend nearly $40 billion this Black Friday weekend. That's up 2% since last year, Byron. Rebecca, thank you. The Black Friday frenzy, and it did turn violent. ABC's Lindsay Davis in the thick of it all at a Jersey The sheer numbers at America's malls that are staggering. An estimated 97 million shoppers crammed in the stores today. By the time the weekend is over, that number is expected to swell to 140 million. Happy Thanksgiving. It's Black Friday on Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, but this show is episode 35, and it is a bonus release. Speaking of bonuses, make sure you don't overlook episode 34, which was our part one on the cryptozoological horror focusing on Bigfoot, with special guest Boss Butcher and an interview with the director of Exists, Eduardo Sanchez. So don't miss episode 34. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Wolfman Josh. How's it going, Jay? It's good, buddy. And... Dr. Walking Dead. How is everybody doing? (laughs) Woo! Glad to have you back. Oh, man. Oh, I would so rather be on this podcast than a department chair. (laughs) (laughs) Just give me time, boys. I'm trying to get fired. If we could pay you what you earn there and then some, we would do it just to get you to come over here like full time. (laughs) That would be awesome. And if you need any help getting fired, let us know what we can do on that front as well. (laughs) I'm doing all right. I'm just kind of annoying everybody. (laughs) There you go. All right, we got a great special bonus episode tonight, and I believe this was, once again, Wolfman Josh's brainchild. He's been coming up with a lot of just tremendous content ideas, and thankful to have him, and I know you guys are too. So, Josh, I'll kick it over to you, and could you tell the listeners what we're doing for tonight's theme? Sure. Well, you know, it's Black Friday, and... um that just the name alone just has kind of an ominous tone to it before i knew what it was as a child it always you know sounded like some catholic holiday uh to me you know i I didn't you know where they sing ring out wild bells or something terrifying like that i didn't know exactly what it was um but uh, you know there are so many great horror films about kind of capitalism and consumerism and you know we were talking about halloween uh, the franchise, you know, in October. And when we did Halloween three, I thought this would be so much fun to do like a black Friday episode and talk about these movies like Halloween three and, and the stuff and, and all these movies that kind of deal with this, you know, American psycho and, and of course, Dawn of the dead. And so when, when I, when I realized how many there were, I thought, okay, maybe there's enough to, to do a full episode on this. And, and it might be, and it might be fun just to to do something for uh, Black Friday. I'd also been talking to Jonathan Penner and Stacy Title, a husband wife directing writing team, who are doing a new upcoming horror movie for the Weinstein's. And uh, Jonathan wrote a book called Horror Cinema. It's like it's like a coffee table book, uh, but it, you know it's really beautiful. It's big. It's got some beautiful 
photographs and um and so i thought well we can give away that book and have an interview with them in this episode as well it's kind of our little black friday present to the listeners well i wasn't able to get the interview coordinated in time unfortunately but um we still will give away um that horror cinema book to one of the listeners at the end of the episode so stay tuned so you can hear how to win that but you know i thought when we were putting this episode together i thought you know we'll we'll sit here and talk about all of the the quote-unquote horrors of consumerism and then you know it was revealed to me last week on movie podcast weekly uh, that Jason here is actually a pretty big fan of consumerism, something I hadn't realized. And I know <laughs> a lot of you guys aren't crossover listeners. So I brought a little clip with me today so that those who aren't, who don't listen to both podcasts can kind of hear Jason's take on, on this whole consumerism thing that you may have missed. And this came up because Jason watches a show called CSI Las Vegas. <laughs> and we, we were discussing CSI Las Vegas. Kyle. And, uh, and, <laughs> Do you see how he always tries to discredit me with the horror fans? No, 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 no. This is great. I want. I just want everyone to hear this because I think this is great. I'm glad that we're going to have a little opposition in our discussion tonight. Okay, well, I have no idea. He always does this. He like pulls things that I say from the past and haunts me with them. So here we go. I love that it's set in Las Vegas. I love all the Vegas scenery, and Vegas is one of my favorite towns. Ironically, for- can I ask you about that? Why is that? It's, Why do you like Las Vegas? I, I like, and this is terrible, I like glitzy, glamour, color. I like all the neon lights. <laughs> I like flashy. I like worldly. Like shiny things. Uh, yeah. You I like the dirtiness of it. No, I like commercialism. Like at Christmas, you, you know, Christmas to me <laughs> wow. is about the Christian, of course. That's the number one thing, the birth of Christ is what we celebrate. Wow. But I'm also a person who loves the commercialism <laughs> aspect. Black Friday is so cool. I go, I don't really buy much on Black Friday, you guys, but I go out Black Friday in the stores just to be in the midst of all the buzz. I don't like sports at all. I never watch football, but I watch Super Bowl. Super Bowl is what I watch the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) It's clear you don't follow sports. Exactly. I watch the Super Bowl just to be a part of that national zeitgeist. I mean, I love that stuff. So that's why I love Vegas. (laughs) <laughs> I still oh. own all that. Okay. <laughs> so that's who we're dealing with here, folks, uh, as we right. get into this conversation. That's good to know. <laughs> For those who don't know, Dr. Walking Dead here, Kyle Bishop, is one of our official hosts of this show. He's just very busy, but... I'm, I'm intermittent. Yes, but very important. And um, his all-time favorite horror film is Dawn of the Dead, 1978. In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. Dawn of the Dead. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. So we'll turn it over to you to kick us off and get us started, buddy. Well, I'm just, I'm still reeling from the clip, uh, but I think it's wonderful that you would admit that you have completely bought in to the spectacle of consumption. Uh, <laughs> the bill of goods we've been sold as a nation low these many decades. Uh, I am something 
listeners who know me know I'm a pretty strong psychoanalytic critic and a lot of my stuff that I write about horror films and stuff about the mind and repression and all that. Uh, but I'm also really into Marxist theory and the idea of, of consumer impulses that kind of drive a, an economy, but also the anxieties that result from that consumerism and the, the thing that we're always like driven to want more, but then we feel guilty about wanting more. And then we get mad when we don't have more, but we do horrible things to get it from other people. I mean, it's really kind of a, that's one of the things Marx was pretty critical of is, is what consumerism, uh, particularly the capitalist form of consumerism does to us as a people, uh, which is in the tradition of these great horror films we're going to be talking about tonight is it turns us into monsters uh, yes. particularly the kind of monster that I love, which is the consuming monster, the monster that eats and drinks blood and flesh and uh, the all that that kind of stuff. Go to a, the type that might go to a Las Vegas buffet. Exactly. <laughs> yes. The, the, buff, the buffet of humanity. Uh, <laughs> and, and so this, this idea that when faced with material goods and and the opportunity to consume and and to partake in the system really kind of makes us crazy and if you want to see some great horror film style footage just wait till the nightly news on friday when we get the invariable <laughs> news report of the 68 year old grandma who was trampled to death at a walmart opening at 5 a.m or or the kid who was punched in the face because some other kid wanted some toy that there was only one left I mean, you, you, when you were talking in that clip about how you don't like sports, but you like going shopping on Black Friday, <laughs> that's the greatest American sport we have. <laughs> yes. Well, I have going a to the store, going to the mall, punching people in the face. Big sales in a stampede. Shoppers pushed and shoved their way through Black Friday today, one of the busiest shopping days of the year, of course. The mad dash into a Walmart store knocked shoppers to the ground near Grand Rapids, Michigan, at 5 in the morning. Despite several people falling to the ground, shoppers charged ahead, fixated on doorbuster deals. A 13-year-old girl helping a pregnant woman get up had to be taken away by ambulance. Another woman who was injured was taken to the hospital. Her husband blamed the store for a lack of security. Watch as merchandise goes flying through the crowds at this Walmart in Virginia and this one in South Carolina. And in North Carolina, see the man in orange as he wrestles to grab a doorbuster. A father even leaving his infant in the car outside of a Best Buy so that he could shop. Bullets flew outside this Kohl's in Illinois. Multiple injuries reported after police chased an alleged shoplifter into the parking lot. Even protests at some Walmarts over wages. But in many locations, the rush turned violent. Shoppers openly brawling over discounted merchandise. About a dozen other people were also knocked to the ground in this chaos, including a 28-year-old pregnant woman, eight months pregnant. And in Los Angeles, as many as 20 people were injured when they were doused with pepper spray by a female shopper during a crowd surge. Everybody was just overwhelmed with the smell. But has the frenzy gone too far? Gunfire reportedly erupted at a Fayetteville, North Carolina mall early this morning. There were a group of um, young men. They started fighting, and then soon afterwards, you heard a popping sound, and there was some shooting going on. And then after that, people just scattered and went everywhere. Just after midnight at the Target on Quarter G, Walter Vance collapsed to the floor. He was out shopping, and witnesses say some people just walked around him and kept on going. 
Long Island, New York. That is where a Walmart worker has died after the doors opened for early morning sales about 5 a.m. local time. The victim has just been identified as a 34-year-old man, Dimitai Damore. He is from Jamaica, Queens. Well, let me ask you a question on this real quick, Kyle, because like when you said it turns us into monsters, yes, and that's a great, I sense a good lead in there for Dawn of the Dead, but it's almost like when things become... And I mean things like material goods. When things become more important than people, then we are um, kind of bitten right. with that bug. And so right. there's a website. I don't know if people are aware of this. It's called BlackFridayDeathCount.com. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and they keep... Exactly. That's <laughs> what I just meant. <laughs> and there have been since 2008, which this site reports was the first death there's a worker at Long Island Walmart who was trampled in a Black Friday stampede. Since 2008, there have been seven deaths and 90 injuries since 2006. And it lists like all the injuries and the deaths and what happened. I mean, you had um, two people shot dead at a Toys R Us in 2008 as well. You, you had um, this, this older man insane. trampled in um, a Target in 2011 on black friday uh, i mean you just this is this is obviously the kind of monster stuff you're talking about it well, i mean yeah. the fact that we have a phrase black market stampede and that there is a <laughs> statistical study associated with this phenomenon uh i think speaks volumes uh, and it's so interesting that it's become well, like in all in all things horror, we're seeing in the last ten, fifteen years a resurgence of everything from the seventies. And I've I've ranted about this before on the show, where we're seeing a lot of stuff from the seventies resurface, and and because of a lot of that is this kind of recovery of the economy that causes people to kind of go a little crazy. Um, but what do you mean? The, could I? Sorry, could I just clarify on it? What do you mean exactly? Is it because people were struggling for so long and now they're excited to just go spin, spin, spin? Or like, yeah, that's part of it. But I mean, it's it's the it's it's been marketed to us in the past that spending money is a patriotic obligation. <laughs> that to get the country back on its feet, we have to take the, the, our hundred money or occasionally stimulus money, where basically the federal government just gives us a check to go buy stuff. And, and we're encouraged to enter into this kind of like uh, coliseum of shopping uh, because there's this <laughs> stimulation to the economy. And when you get into the, the, the recessions and when the economy is struggling, we get a different kind of horror film. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but then when we start doing better, we go out and we go nuts and we start buying stuff. And what's really exacerbating things today is that we're, we also have this global economy where we're buying stuff that's super, super cheap. So we're buying more stuff that we don't need, but we're becoming more obsessed about it. And it, there's really this whole danger, I think that causes people to go nuts. And that's why to me, black Friday is well named in the tradition of things such as like Black Christmas or these other great horror films, because mm -hmm. I think I think Friday is a horror show. <laughs> uh, so I've <laughs> got to disagree with you, Jay, and your your fascination with the spectacle of consumerism. Uh, I think Black Friday is one of the uh, single most things wrong with America, and I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Wonderful. Wolfman, what do you got to say about that? <laughs> I agree with I agree with Kyle, but I but I can sympathize with you because I remember growing up um 
there were there were like these shows like Supermarket Sweep. Do you guys remember that show? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's a show where people. It's like a game show where you're on teams and you run around through a grocery store and you try to pick out the most expensive items, and then at the end of your supermarket sweep, they come back and they ring up all the things in your cart. And if you if you were able to get the most expensive things in your cart, then you get to you know I don't remember what the prize right. was. Yeah, you get to keep all the food, you get the, all the money. I don't know. But I remember turkeys were the big thing. So when people yeah, yeah. realized that turkeys and hoses cost a lot of money, suddenly <laughs> it just all became about turkeys and I hoses. I remember that. But isn't that such a great uh, indictment of the late 80s, early 90s, where the, the item is irrelevant? It's the yeah. price. It yeah. doesn't matter what you're getting. It's the cost. It's just consume, <laughs> consume, consume. And they, I remember I also used to watch you know Nickelodeon as a kid, and they had um, – this Toys R Us sweepstakes that they would have every year where one lucky kid would get a chance, probably two, I think there was a boy and a girl, would get that same opportunity to give them a shopping cart and then have like 10 minutes just run through Toys R Us and grab as much stuff as they could uh, as they yes. could grab. And I used to fantasize about that as a child. Exactly. Still do. What if oh, I could do this? <laughs> so yes. anyway, I, I had like mapped out in my head my plan of like where I'd run through the store and like what what things I'd get and, and it's sad and I think it's easy for that to overtake you um, if you let it. Yeah, but that that's a great segue, Josh, because my my claim, let me take you down film history lane, is where uh, a lot of these these kind of consumption consumer driven horror films are really founded on that idea of the fantasy that you're talking about uh, before oh, they yeah. make it the horror. And so I'm going to throw out here and maybe. F- Listeners can post uh, comments to prove me wrong. But this all starts for me with The Omega Man, 1971. Yes. Uh, Boris Segal's movie based somewhat loosely on I Am Legend. But the opening of The Omega Man is really, really famous because Charlton Heston, who's, who's playing Robert Neville uh, in a post-apocalyptic world, just goes into a store and just gets what he wants and takes what he wants and he can go through and pick out anything he wants. But the, the climax, of course, is he goes into an auto dealership, gets the nicest sports car he can, and just drives it straight out through the plate glass window yeah. and off into the sunset. And so that idea that kind of surfaces in the 70s of, you know what would be awesome? If we could just go <laughs> take whatever we wanted and it would just be ours. Absolutely. <laughs> and so it's interesting that this is 71 when uh, you know we're still in Vietnam, the economy's not great. And it kind of paves the way for Dawn of the Dead 78, which is now, hey, yeah, it is awesome to go to the mall and take everything you want, except for, you know, you become a monster. Yeah, and so and there's a could, nice twist. If I could just jump ahead of the discussion a little bit, you go to 1984 with Night of the Comet. Night of the Comet, and, absolutely. And now you've got this film with these, again, these kind of ambiguous monsters they are you know, we we talked about having a monster, not a monster episode where, you, like like the Omega Man, you can't quite tell what the monster is supposed to be, and um, you know, the ones in in Night of the Comet are similar. Are they zombies? They don't. They look like zombies. They don't really act like what we know zombies mm-hmm. to act like. But the horror is kind of sucked out of that movie. It's mostly a comedy. Yeah. And the mall sequence, though, there is some danger. Compared to something like Dawn of the Dead, it's relatively low, and the they they have this big shopping spree where these girls are putting on lingerie and fur coats, and and the whole that whole scene is scored to girls just want to have fun. 
Uh-huh. And it's so it's so funny <laughs> to see where that goes by 1984, mm-hmm. um, from what you're talking about with 71 with Omega Man. Well, yeah, but it makes it makes mer- perfect sense that in 84 it's just kind of like this gluttony. So after 71 was 72. When you said that they just take whatever they want, do you think that that was kind of leading up or that was part of the momentum behind something like the last house on the left where they took whatever they wanted? Yeah, I mean, it is and it isn't, because I think okay. all horror films are about taking whatever you want. Uh, monsters taking taking flesh, taking life, taking blood. Uh, you know, the zombie is taking your agency. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be an element of kind of f- uh, forceful abduction of something. But what I think whereas with Last House on the Left, it's it's certainly more carnal and metaphorical with these films that we've talked about so far, Omega Man, Night of the Comet, the two Dawn of the Dead movies, it's very, very literal. Mm. It's not about taking something that you normally can't take or you shouldn't normally take or that the the ethics have changed. It's it's really about stuff. It's about taking things that you don't really need in the first place and you kind of don't even want, but you (laughs) want them because you're told you want them. Like or because the they're stuff, expensive, if you will. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The stuff, which is just this amorphous white blob that is apparently the most delicious thing one could ever acquire. Because, because again, I mean, you know, there's obviously something going on with the stuff that's causing people to react that way. But, you know, it, it, it's that film is, is talk, it has a lot to do with advertising. And again, this consumption based not necessarily on need but just this all-consuming greed. It's Hmm. interesting that's 85. I mean, I'm not sure we could say it's the rebuttal to Night of the Comet, but it's certainly in that period. Yeah. That just that of, of that's one where um, unchecked consumerism and consumption literally makes you a monster. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of cool. Um, but I, but I like the, the more subtle, cause I always love R- Romero when he's being subtle is what, what really does happen to the humans who indulge because famously Dawn of the dead is about, Oh, look, the zombies are the consumers. The zombies are the shoppers. And, uh, you know, the scenes and the shots of all the zombies pressed up against the doors and clamoring to get in right. uh, that are very evocative of Black Friday footage uh, that even today. So I remember when I was like 12 or 13, we went to Kmart at 5 a.m. to get the uh, Texas Instrument computer that was like <laughs> all the rage. It was this brand new device. And I remember getting uh, being in part of a crowd and pushed through the door and shoved to the side and and running down the aisle and grabbing one of these boxes and holding it tightly to my chest. And to me, I think that was my first experience with zombies uh, is really being part of the horde. But of course, what's really cool about Dawn of the Dead is the four survivors in the mall uh, who are given the opportunity to overcome their consumptive conditioning and they f- kind of fail horribly. Well, yeah. And they say about the zombies in Dawn of the Dead, they come here on instinct. Right. And so we see that even in our protagonists, they're not zombified yet, but their instinct is still right. Let's go raid the stores. Well, and that's the great irony. So the, the four of them are standing upstairs and Fran is like, why are they here? Why do they come here? I don't know. They're just drawn to it. They remember it, which is of course why they're there. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that on some subconscious level, yeah, they, they landed the helicopter on the roof because it was a good place to land. Um, <laughs> but they never move on. They, they don't move on even when the mall becomes really dangerous. And it's because they are also part of that conditioning. Well, they're alive as opposed to the dead zombies. But Romero's saying it doesn't really matter. Whether you're alive or dead, you've been conditioned. You're drawn to the mall, which is so awesome in 78 when the mall was just kind of coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was starting to become a phenomenon. And for Romero to like to prefigure 80s mall culture is one of the things (laughs) I think he did that was really pretty genius. Yeah, he talked about that. He talked about not necessarily being interested in doing a sequel tonight. but he was friends with the guy who owned the mall and he was taking a tour of the mall and, and there were some logistical things like he saw the air ducts and he thought, Oh, this would be interesting for a movie. But he talked about how the themes are really what were most important to him over story and over character. Yeah. He's mostly interested in these themes. And, and when he saw the mall, he thought, okay, this is, I can do something with this. And that kind of coincided with the call he got from Argento Dario Argento to ask him if he wanted to make a sequel and it all kind of fell together. But I I think you're right. I think he um, was way ahead of his time and kind of seeing what that, a a structure like that could become, you know, and what it ultimately did become in the eighties. See, I'm, I'm impressed with everything that you guys are juggling here, but let me throw this into the mix. If we're really looking at this, how can we react to the fact that we as humans do have needs as a guy who loves Black Friday, we do need things. And the mall, I realized it was like a thematic choice, but the mall is actually a very logical place because it has all sorts of supplies that you would need. And so to what extent can we criticize them for picking a place that is filled with the things that humans need? Oh, well, I, and I'm with you there. It's a, it's a really great place to have to hold out in an apocalypse. Um, the key of the film and the key of the criticism of the film is that when they should abandon it, they refuse. Mm, okay. It's a great place to be, and they have to take some risks to secure it, and they have to, to get the zombies out, and they have to like barricade the doors. And they get to where they have a pretty comfortable, happy life. Um, but, uh, Jay, mm-hmm. there's things we need, and there's things that we want, as you well know. <laughs> and the the first shopping gluttony montage in Dawn of the Dead is is really kind of indicative of that, where they're not just eating, you know, food; they're eating the gourmet food. And there's that great moment where Roger's sitting in the wheelbarrow, plucking out these like pickled olives and kippers and stuff. Uh, it's <laughs> not that they they that Fran wants a coat; she wants a fur coat. Um, they, they rob the bank branch just so they can play poker with, with hundred dollar bills, even though they don't matter. Why don't they just go use a monopoly game? So it, it is this idea of there's things that we do need, uh, but it's about excess. It's about, yeah, you need, you may need a watch, but do you really need a $500 watch? <laughs> uh, you need a car, but you need, do you need an $80,000 car? And I think that's kind of what that first sequence is all about. Well done. I like that. So were you still leading up then in your film history through the 70s? Were you still pulling up titles? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I just wanted to go back to Omega Man because the, the mall fantasia, which is what some people have called it, is is a really key concept. This idea of, because uh, we've talked, uh, Jay, you and I have talked about this on, on one of your shows about 
the the appeal of the zombie narrative as as survival fantasy. Mm-hmm. The idea of oh, I love I love zombie movies because I get to cathartically go through my scenario of how I would survive. And this small Fantasia thing is what Josh was saying, you know, where he had his whole his whole path through the shopping area planned out as a kid <laughs> to know exactly what what stuff he would take and how he would fit it into the cart. And so there is this sense of, hey, wouldn't that be awesome? You know what would be great about an apocalypse? We could just go and do whatever we wanted and take whatever we wanted. And it's not the the film history, but this is also played up quite, not quite nicely in my favorite novel of all time, which is The Stand by Stephen King. Nice. And uh, there's this great moment in The Stand when um, one of the main characters, Stu, comes home and his, and his girlfriend, Fran, is coincidentally also named Fran, is doing the laundry. And he says, why are you even bothering doing the laundry? Let's just throw our clothes away when they get dirty and we'll go down to the shopping mall or the store and just get new clothes. <laughs> and she says, you idiot. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dangerous path. Uh, we can't go down a path where we just take, where we just use and throw away. Um, and she's really an advocate of getting back to basics and only having what you need and taking care of what you have and making things last so you don't waste the world. You don't waste the world away with frivolity. And so I think Romero is playing around with that because the second montage in in Dawn of the Dead 78 they're running around the mall and everything's available to them and they're all super depressed Yeah, because it's just lame. It's now it's lame because it's just there. (laughs) There for the taking. So it's the fact that it's not, it's kind of like, um, they talk about this with desire of other human beings. If, if it's easy to get, then you're not as intrigued by it. Well, yeah, let's make let's make a weird analogy. A a romantic (laughs) comedy would suck. If uh, the couple got together easily, <laughs> right? So you, know, you, you go to a romantic comedy. Hey, there's this guy. He likes this girl. She likes him too. So they go on a date and they hit it off. And that's <laughs> ten minutes into the movie, it's over. <laughs> it's right. it's the same thing. Um, but it's also, you know, there's something to be said for how quickly we become accustomed to riches and and excess. Yes. You know, you can you can be poor and starving your whole life and and you see this a lot and then kind of get rich quickly and it it, it doesn't take long to become to start taking that all for granted immediately absolutely um uh, i kind of want to give an example for my personal life but i don't want to offend anybody <laughs> <laughs> but we well, were you know i'll i'll, I'll just say this because i don't think he'll ever hear it um we were doing a doc a film with a guy who when we started making the film, he literally lived out of his car and he was really talented, you know, actor, but he, you know, had, he had made a choice to live in his car to save money. So it would be easier for him to live in LA. And, you know, but he got into a situation where he'd been living out of his car for a couple of years and didn't really have an exit strategy. And we were able to pay him enough for the film that he was able to move out, get an apartment and, you know, and, and we would, you know, because the production was always paying for meals, we were going to really nice restaurants and stuff all over the country. It would be in New York or LA or wherever, going to really nice restaurants. And it was interesting to see just over the course of while we filmed the f- movie, how quickly his his attitude changed about everything. And, you know, he just kind of expected that this is what he deserves now. And, the, and you know, and, and his humility that he had while he was living out of his car just was almost completely erased. 
I don't say that to judge him, but I was as an observation, it was really interesting for me to see um, that change in him happen so quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I have friends who make $30,000 a year and they have trouble saving and they barely pay their bills. I have friends who have make $60,000 a year and they have trouble saving and they can barely pay their bills. I know people who make $100,000 a year who can't save money and barely pay their bills. Right. I mean, it's like we always seem to want just more than we can get. But when we get it, how long how quickly do we lose interest in it? Cuz my son just had a birthday mm-hmm. on Saturday. Got all these gifts. He was so excited. All the presents. Woo! Man, it's Wednesday and he's bored. He's he's lost interest in almost all the toys he's got. He wants to go shopping. Mm-hmm. He yeah. he's talking about Christmas already. Um, because it's just that's what happens in Dawn of the Dead is once things have no cost, they have no value. And so while it seems like, hey, this is going to be a pretty sweet gig, we're just going to hang out in this mall and have everything we want, they realize that what they want most isn't available in the mall. <laughs> right. Nice. Yes. Yeah, because there's that chilling scene that we've talked about before, Kyle, where you've got the couple, right, sitting yeah. on the bed and they're just like just full of despair or at least discontentment (laughs) they're just bored out of their minds and they don't have any emotion for each other and fran's pregnant with with peter's baby and so peter goes to the jewelry store and gets like an eighty thousand dollar engagement ring and hands it to her and she she won't take it because she says but it's not real none of this is real we're just we're just doing this thing we're just going through these motions and to me that's where the movie gets like you said it gets pretty chilling because uh, for a while, the zombies are not a threat anymore, but their own malaise and ennui, if I could throw out two weird words, uh, kind of consume them to the point where it's like, what's the point of surviving an apocalypse if there's nothing to live for? So, but that, that kind of begs the question, maybe it's more of a philosophical type of question, but um, are things only valuable to us then if we have to struggle because, you know, what you just described there in the film that suggests that the, the struggle of life is really what makes it um, appealing. Yeah. What do you think, Josh? I mean, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's hard to see. It's, it's hard to see that at the time. But, you know, I mean, we're getting pretty philosophical here. I, it, but, you know, I think those are the types of things that you grow from ultimately, you know. Well, I just think in my life, the stuff that was given to me is never the stuff I cherish. Um sure. It's the stuff that I go out and work for and struggle for and, and strive for. And and uh, I think people who work really hard to get a job have more job satisfaction than someone who's like gets it through nepotism or, or through some kind of other shortfall. And again, in this uh, film, you see people who like even the police, they don't, you know, they're not rich, you know, they're, they're richer than these people that they meet in the projects initially. But yeah, there's that great line in the gun shop where Peter, says, you know, the only person who could ever mess with a gun like this would be uh, the guy with the bread to buy it, you know, and that's, that's right. such a cool, cool line. You know, they, there, there's a resentment there. Um, even, even in the instant that they're getting to have access to this stuff, there's like a resentment that they previously wouldn't have been able to access it. Mm-hmm. No, it's a great line. And as you say it, I resent that I didn't talk about it in my book. Uh, cause, cause it is a great line, um, that, that, the people who can afford these luxuries are often the people who therefore don't appreciate them or can't use them or don't understand what they are because they just, it's, they just have it. They just get it. Um, and 
And it doesn't take long before these four survivors are like, you know what we really want? We want Roger to not die. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want Fran to really love Peter. Uh, We kind of want, no, not Peter. Sorry, I got the name wrong. Um, Steven. Steven, thank you. Uh, for, for her to love Steven and for Steven to really love her back. We want Steven to be excited about the baby. And we want Peter to be, <laughs> I don't know, man. I just want Peter to be happy. <laughs> so there's there's all this stuff that ends up falling apart. And the, the my favorite moment of the whole show, of the whole movie, really, is Fran is just depressed and all she's worried about is her baby and she doesn't care what's in the mall. And she's leaning up against the uh, the glass and there's a zombie leaning up against her on the other side. Yes. And just kind of pawing at her half-heartedly through the glass. And it's such a great moment where you're <laughs> like, who's worse off here? Who is... Who has lost their soul? Who is who is really the most desolate? <laughs> and the zombie wants her a little bit more than what's his face. So <laughs> yeah, at least the zombie desires her. Yeah. So do you know what I want, you guys? I want to introduce our good friend here, bring him on to the show. Our co-host, Doctor Shock, has arrived. He's been having okay. a, a terrible time with Skype tonight. Oh, I've been having a, a miserable time, but it has something to do with my laptop more than anything. It just sits there and spins and spins and spins for 15, 20 minutes. And See, Dr. Very Shock needs a new multi-thousand dollar laptop. That's right. Yes. Oh, that would be beautiful. If he could just go down to a store and just take it, then all his problems would be solved. to the Monroeville Mall. And- That's yeah. right. <laughs> He's not too, you, you're probably not too far from Monroeville, are you, Doc? Just tell me there. I'm confident that I'm closer than you guys are. I'm still not that close. <laughs> You're like six, what, six hours? Probably about six hours along the, the Pennsylvania Turnpike, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have, have you ever been there? I haven't. But you know what? I, I want to get out that way. I want to see every. I mean, I want to visit, you know, where Night of the Living Dead was shot. I want to I want to see all those sites. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Monroeville Mall is, is definitely right up there. No, that, that's the Mecca. Yeah. I, I hear yeah. there's a little uh, museum at the Monroeville Mall that you know, like a little gift shop museum about about Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be great. Be fun to check out. We should all go there, and then you guys could stay at my home home, which isn't that far from Pittsburgh. I, I at think, least, yeah. With West Virginia's not where isn't too far from that either, right? It doesn't border, right? It's not. Yeah, West Virginia does border Pennsylvania. Oh, in that area. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Have you been to the mall, Jay? Yeah, when I was younger, but I did, I wasn't old enough to appreciate its historical significance. But I have been, <laughs> I have been to that mall. Yes, lucky. I know it's cool. I know, yeah. but I don't. I didn't remember it that much. Well, one of the things Marx talks about, because Jay gave me permission to get academic, mm-hmm. is he really breaks down commodities in terms of use value and exchange value, and that he cautions us as a capitalist society not to focus so much on exchange value. And this is kind of what I was saying when I was ribbing Jay earlier. Um, you know, use value is you get something because you, you can use it. It does what you need it to do. So if you're cold, you go get a coat. Um, but exchange value means that you go and get an expensive coat because the expensive coat has this other type of value that Mark says is actually completely artificial. And so once we start getting caught up in exchange value instead of use value, we actually forget what things are for. Um, and so an example of this is when, kind of to tie in what Josh was saying about the, the weapons, about these rich guys who go buy these super expensive 
antique fancy guns and then they just hang them on the wall mm. and right. so they they no longer are the, are used for the thing they were designed for they they instead become a symbol of power and authority and and <laughs> wealth and and opportunity and to me uh, all, and all pardon to Jay. That's Vegas to me. Vegas is all about exchange value. There's yes. no use value in Vegas. Yes. Not even at the not even at the buffet. And I so Marx it. is saying, if you go down that road, you're going to lose contact with what things are for, and that's what happens in the movie. They forget what the stuff is there for. <laughs> I love that. I love this stuff. Do you, do you know what this reminds me of? And this has triggered what I was going to ask about earlier. This reminds me of how, all respect to those present here, <laughs> like how we tend to collect things like movies. And we might have <laughs> like lots and lots of movies that are still wrapped up in the cellophane that we haven't even watched, but we still yeah. want to collect more and more. That, that's, exactly, that's exactly what popped into my head, Jay. <laughs> so, as, as, uh, I'm, I'm looking at my collection right now. <clears throat> yeah, Guilty. So, so Dr. Shock, who has um, in, an incredible DVD collection, um, I wonder if you could speak to that. What do you think that's all about, Doc? Um... <laughs> You know, it, it. I can I can tell you exactly what it was about when I when I was a kid. You know, I, I grew up loving movies, and then we got cable TV, and I could watch these movies whenever I wanted. But when we brought a VCR into the house, mm-hmm. and I recorded my first movie, which um, well, the first one the family recorded was Death Trap. The first one I recorded was Poltergeist. And I could sit there and watch it whenever I wanted. It was like, oh my god, this is absolutely incredible. I, I, I can own a movie. Wow. And, and I think oh, it's been from that point on, it's just obviously exploded. You've had a <laughs> DVD infatuation, as it were. Ever since, yeah. <laughs> Ever since, right. But I would suggest that Doc actually has a use for those because of DVD infatuation um, that others might not. And I think there is a definite cultural, sociological... Um, I, I think there are people who attempt to claim their identity through the things that they purchase, you know, and I think, I think we're probably all guilty of it to some degree, not just in the clothes you're wearing, but I think, you know, I think that's part of mall culture is, you know, you start defining yourself by the brands that you choose or the things that you collect. Um, and that, and and use that to make up for (laughs) other, maybe, other maybe uh, missing elements of your personality or, you know, or our, our identity that we're using right. those to kind of to define ourselves. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yep. You, you buy stuff to fill the void in your life that you never can fill with stuff. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just like zombies That's... eat people. Yes, exactly. It's, cons- <laughs> it's consumption without satiation. Yeah. The, they... the zombie never gets full because the zombie isn't eating for biological need, according to Day of the Dead. Right. Uh, but they just eat because they don't know any better. And so Romero's saying, you're just going and buying stuff because you're told that's what you're supposed to do. And you buy more and more stuff, and all it ends up being is there's more and more stuff in your house. But you, you don't become a better person. You don't feel better about things. You're not happier, are you? And in the return film, somebody told them that they, what you're hungry for is brains. And so they said, okay, that's what we're getting. <laughs> so that's all we want from now on. Have you, I know Josh has seen this, but, um, and this is not a horror film, but in, in some ways, 
it is horrifying on some levels, but have you guys seen The Queen of Versailles from 2012, uh, that documentary? I desperately want to, and I just haven't found time for it, but that is dead on. You are absolutely is, right there. It is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I believe it's currently streaming on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken, but oh. um, somebody can check me on that. But anyway, in, in that film... Boy, it, it's it's remarkable because it demonstrates exactly what Kyle's been talking about. And there are scenes where um, the mother, I mean, I'll have Josh tell you the premise in a second, but the, the mother will buy things for the children that they already have several of and have uh-huh. not used the ones they have several of in the first place. And their house is just <laughs> filled with stuff just like um, Xanadu on Citizen Kane. But yes, it's incredible. <laughs> Oh, you went further back in history, my friend. Oh, yes. <laughs> Not messing around. <laughs> um, yeah, like Queen of Versailles is currently streaming on Netflix. Thank oh. you. Yeah, people should watch that. That's crazy. It's on my weekend. And, and for the record, I own it, but I haven't seen it. <laughs> and <laughs> is, it still, is it still shrink wrapped? No. I, one thing I do, I make it a point that I, that I take the shrink wrap off of every single one that comes through the door. Now I wasn't doing that for a while. So I still come across ones that are, that are in the shrink wrap (laughs) and I immediately take it off. That way his Um, wife can't return them when he's not around. (laughs) Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that has something to do with it. Josh, I can Um, tell you're married. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Doc, I'm sorry. I hope you didn't feel like I was up in your mix about this. I was just, teasing it you fit. I, I was i the, the the exact same thing popped into my head you know when okay. when dr walking dead was making that point that's that's the first thing that popped into my head as well so it's uh I, no problem at all well in the halloween episodes we heard haddonfield hatchet say um kyle he's a giant halloween fan and he said that he walks into a store and he'll see you know the the dvd of halloween or like the regular blu-ray and he'll still want to buy it even though he has it yes. in several other versions yes but he feels like ah oh, it's only like five bucks maybe i should just pick it up and like <laughs> <laughs> and it's and and gregor mortis does do that he collects every type of release he's he had one just recently i think came in from australia yeah you know any any release of the movie he's gonna own it yeah i have, I have six copies of the hobbit it's mm-hmm. we we have this. It's a collecting. It's a collection impulse, mm-hmm. which is which is not really about use value or exchange value anymore. Uh, I think I think Marx would have found it really fascinating, actually. Um, but it's a fetishization. Uh, it's it's the owning of the commodity for the sake of having it, not using it, not selling it, not not making anything out of it. It's just to look at it. Right. Uh, so you can so you can look at your shelf and go. There are my 16 different editions of Halloween. And I think, again, forming identity, like, that's who I am. I'm the guy who gets all the Halloweens when they're released. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that says something about me, you know. And, and you do, I do try to, uh, I guess, in a way, fool myself into thinking that there is use. Like, okay, yeah, I'll get, I'll get use out of this. I'll pick this up, and at some point, I will watch this. But then I look and I have Super Mario Brothers, the movie with John Leguizamo. I have, I have Supergirl. I have Spice World. I have all of these movies saying, oh, when am I ever going to watch these Spice things? World. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so when you said um, fetish, fetishization or whatever that um, word was, you said. Yeah, I just said it so you would have to repeat it at uh, some point. Th- thank you for doing that. So are you saying if I go over to my buddy Haddonfield Hatchet's house one day and he doesn't know I'm coming, I might see him rolling around in his um, Halloween movies naked? Is that what you're I, saying? <laughs> I, I don't know the man. Uh, but I think we do it metaphorically. I think okay. we do it all the time. Gotcha. I think there's a, you know, it's, it's the thing of the, the middle-aged man hand washing the sports car out in front in the driveway. So people can watch him hand washing the sports car in the driveway. I mean, there is, there is a certain almost sexualized fetishization of, of commodification where, where we, you know, I know people who will walk along their bookshelf and and caress the spines of their books. I'm not sure if either of you have ever done that to your DVD collection, but it's possible. Uh, there is a, there is a tangibility, but it's mostly with the eyes. We like to see it, and we also like to show it, right? Because vintners do this all the time. Come to my house, and I will take you into my wine cellar, and I will watch you see my wine collection. <laughs> and, and there's a certain amount of pleasure that comes from seeing the other admire what you've collected, what you've assembled. Mm. Because then there's, right, they envy you. And then you go, ah, ha, ha. I have <laughs> achieved some kind of human contact, which is at the very least one of jealousy. That's... And then you then you feel better about yourself. <laughs> that sounds like um, insecurity, though, deep insecurity of some well, sort. Sure. Yes. I, that's why we collect stuff, is so we can feel better about all the things we f- don't feel good about. <laughs> so in Dawn of the Dead, then, in the 78 film, the survivors are trying to hold on to the things that they might need, like when they, you know, hole up in the mall and they're trying to gather the things that are important to them in life and so forth. Isn't that... Because there is something about worrying about your needs. I've got a rebuttal ready. Oh, I figure you do. So <laughs> so um, I guess, why is it bad... <laughs> I'm defending the Black Friday people again. Why is it bad to be worried about your needs? Like, for example, the people who do, like here in Utah, we have a lot of people who get pretty serious about food storage and they'll try to build up like a year's supply of food storage. And it's like, right. yeah, I might really need a year's supply of right. food storage. So why is that bad? Because it's not needs. Do you know anybody who has a food storage that is like caviar and like gourmet chocolate and uh, expensive wine, obviously not the Mormons. No, uh, but no. <laughs> the food storage is about like grains and wheat and flour and powdered milk. It's about necessity. It's about what you need to survive. So do the, do the guys in the mall need food? Yeah, and they've got food, and that's great. Do they need clothes? They've got clothes. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Do, they, do, they need, do they need $100 bills? Do they need uh, 80-carat uh, uh, rings. It's where the obsession becomes with the things that are not necessary or not useful or don't have a directly useful value. The things break down. Cause here's one thing that's always bugged me about the movie, but I think Romero's doing it on purpose. They're there for an undisclosed period of time, indulging in all this wonderful stuff. And at no point do they make any effort to refuel the chopper. And so what they need most at the climax of the movie is a full tank of gas and they haven't got it. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> but they've got all this other crap they don't need. And when they have to leave the mall, they leave all that stuff behind. And of course, most tragically, uh, they leave, they leave Steven behind too. Hmm. 
which yeah. is what they really needed. What they really needed was Steven and Roger, and they lose both of them because they're obsessed with all the crap they don't need. <laughs> that's that's amazing. So so do you think and I'm sorry, I know we probably talk about this every single time. Do you think Romero planned all of that out or do you think he planned some of it and just got a lot of good stuff out of it? I think he plans quite a bit because like Josh was saying, he's really into the themes, into the symbols. And that's one of the things he hates about a lot of modern zombie movies is -hmm. that there's no social commentary. I mean, he's been pretty vocal about that. Mm -hmm. Um, So the social commentary is intentional. Uh, Now, of course, the thing with the, the... the helicopter being out of gas, the original script, they don't, they shoot it themselves and they, they Fran and, and Peter commit suicide. So I'm not sure if that element was really planned necessarily, mm-hmm. but what I always tell my students when I'm trying to teach them how to read literature is we try to figure out what was intended, but then you go the next step and you figure out what's awesome just because, yeah. and, and sometimes really cool stuff happens serendipitously or subconsciously or because we try so hard to see it uh, that we find it. And so I think that's, that's where things get really rewarding. Now, the fact that it's in a mall is on purpose. The fact that the whole, their abilities to survive fails because of their greed, that's on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the big strokes, the big themes, Romero was doing all that on purpose. And when they're sitting there in the grocery store eating all that expensive food, like Kyle said, they're not just sitting there eating to survive. Romero's cutting back to shots of the till, showing right. all the the dollars that you know that they're spending or would be spending in real life. It's just going right. $45. Yeah, there's that great moment when they fill the bag of candy and they weigh it to see what it would have cost. Yeah. Now why? Why on earth would they do that? Because they want to be able to say, look what I'm getting for free. Mm-hmm. But but who cares? They do. They still care because they're zombies. <laughs> but, and so are you. But ironically. Especially you, Jay. Yeah, especially me. I am. <laughs> but but ironically, they don't call me Jay of the Dead for nothing. But what's weird about that is um, zombies don't really care. Like the monster itself, they don't care about anything. They're actually quite apathetic. They just only have that drive to chomp on people. Right. So, but other than that, it's it's a very parallel monster to this. So, yeah. Well, go ahead. It depends, it depends on how you define care, because when you care about something that's stupid to care about, then it means you've been programmed. And so, I mean, if we want to really want to have a weird semantic debate, you could say a zombie, as far as a zombie can care, mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing the zombie would care about. It all it cares <laughs> about is consumption, and so you right. know that's right. Exactly, it's, but I, I don't think a zombie is going to go after a uh, a tasty person over a non-tasty person. No, they eat rats and stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. So what about this, you guys? Um, why do you think, and I know that um, Dr. Shock here is a huge Dawn of the Dead fan, the original. I mean, everybody is in the world pretty much, but why does the Zack Snyder remake not have the same punch to its commentary that this original does. I think it's, it's a lot of it goes down. You know, there's, there's that scene in, in, and I'm sure you guys have touched on this already in the original Dawn of the Dead, where the characters are sitting there and they realize sort of the futility of everything they got there and, and they, they need to leave. It, it's just not working for them anymore. 
you don't get that moment in the remake of Dawn of the Dead. You know, right. you never get the feeling that they've that they've gotten to that point of realizing this is too much. It's just, you know, that it's it's Ving Rames's character makes that announcement. You know what's worse is sitting here waiting to die, and I don't want to do that. Let's just leave. You don't. Right. You never get the feeling it had anything to do with the items, with the consumption at that point. It's just, hey, let's go. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly right. Perfect answer. I mean, the, nice. in '78, the mall is overrun, and they have to flee. Mm-hmm. In, in Snyder's movie, they make a conscious choice to flee, and they leave the mall before they're tapped out, before they're bored, before they're exhausted, uh, because their goal is to to survive in by moving on and in 78 they just want to squat so and 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 so do you think that that is a reflection because i i think zach snyder's a smart guy i mean i can't brag much about 300 but i i think he's a smart guy so do you think he's because there is a kind of a disenchantment with the mall scene that i've sensed um you, you know, in the 80s, it was super cool to go hang out at the mall. Now, not so much, really. I mean, it's more of a, you know, it's not cool like it used to be. So, do you think that the fact that his characters left early, um, do you think that's a reflection of how we um, are not as in love with hanging out at the mall? Well, what about this, Jason? Mm-hmm. In um, Romero's film, they have a pretty big task ahead of them to clear out the mall, Right. Mm-hmm. So they there's a lot of effort put forth to get this, um, whereas in the Snyder film, it's pretty they you know it's already been cleared out by the time they get there. Essentially, there's like two loose zombies when they arrive at the mall. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe it goes back to that idea that they didn't have to work for this. That's right. So they're not <laughs> as attached to it. Well, no that that Stevens' nice. whole downfall in '78. He says we fought for this. We cleaned it out. We own this mall. It's our mall. And so when the biker gang comes in, the smart thing would be let's go upstairs and put up the false doors and all stuff and be really quiet. And eventually they'll leave or the zombies will kill them and we can start over. But Steven refuses. He's like, I'm going to go fight for it. This is our stuff. Uh, <laughs> because he thinks they earned it, which of course they didn't. And then that's how he gets bitten and he gets turned. Uh, Snyder doesn't let it get to that point because because I think you're I think you're all right. We're not as as in love with the mall as we used to be. Um, they didn't earn it. They didn't work for it. But there's also a, a shift in zombie narratives. Uh, and I have an article about this coming out in Gothic Studies, a British journal next year. Um, the post-9-11 zombie films are less about staying put and more about proactively kind of seeking a solution. Mm. And so it makes sense to me that the after a while, the, the, the mall's going to get exhausted and they're going to say, look, we can't just stay here and die. Whereas a lot of the pre-9-11 zombie movies, that's really the goal, especially Day of the Dead which is we're just going to become part of this archive. And so to specifically like pare that down then, and that is because in the 9-11 scenario, they attacked on American soil. They infiltrated our, you know, right. safety, our home. And so you're and, saying... And we f- but mm-hmm. we fought back, right? Right. So in the Cold War era, it makes sense that the manifestation in the zombie film is more xenophobic, more defensive rather than offensive. Uh, let's fortify the borders. Let's make a defensive perimeter, blah, blah, blah. 
But, you know, 9-11, it's let's take the war to them. We're going to go overseas. We're going to fight this proactively. And I think the zombie movies reflect that change in attitude. Mm-hmm. Because even Romero's films, right? Uh, Land of the Dead is more of a road trip film. Diary of the Dead is literally a road trip movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Survival of the Dead is a road trip movie. Zombieland is a road trip movie. Um, to a certain extent, Shaun of the Dead is, although they do it mostly on foot. <laughs> and and that's how that's how this Dawn of the Dead resolves, although tragically. And it's interesting that Romero almost responds to that idea in Dawn of the Dead when he makes Land of the Dead. Yeah. Because again, like, you know, those as Kyle was saying, those and you know, if we just take Kyle's hypothesis as true, which I'm sure it is, that those pre nine eleven <laughs> movies are about are about hunkering down, you know, Romero's Land of the Dead is about, you know, we, what happens if you've been ignoring the problem. Yep, and you and you're not staying on top of this problem, or this yeah, danger well, that's been mounting. That's why Land of the Dead is probably the best uh, zombie film that reflects 9/11. Yeah, because it is. Look, we we kept our head in the sand too long, and we let this problem get out of control, and now we can't deal with it. Uh, but but consumption and consumerism cha- has changed by the time of Snyder, and because I think the montage in Snyder's film is a lot more decadent. Because it's not just about using expensive stuff. There's also sex in it, uh, which is a little bit more of what Jay was saying earlier about consumption of people. Mm. And so that's really featured more strongly in Snyder's film. And so it's kind of like it's more decadent and therefore even less satisfying. Mm. So they leave. So they leave them all. <laughs> nice. So this Friday, what, what would you guys do? What if I went to the mall? Which you will. And I will, yes. And, and then trampled to death and return as a zombie. And just for fun, <laughs> just just for kicks, you know, just for the news story, if I started biting people, would you guys think that's funny? <laughs> oh, uh... I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just. Wouldn't that be weird though? I mean, I, I, it just occurred to me. It's like I wonder if if we were out in the Black Friday ruckus, and you know, you don't just have to worry about the trampling. What if the the zombie outbreak occurred? That would be oh. very freaky. Well, there's well, your next. Oh, there's a movie for you. Go to that website you mentioned where it lists all the injuries. See how many are bites. I am not would not be surprised in the slightest if people get bitten <laughs> at Black Friday sales. I, I would agree. I bet it happens all the time. Oh wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and and scary. <laughs> but you know what? That's that's very interesting of having a uh, the, I, I think Josh is right. There's there might be a movie in there having the uh Having the zombie apocalypse hit uh, during Black Friday. Yeah, we already oh, got the title. Is out at the mall. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Thanks, that's Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's tremendous. Okay, so um, I know we we only have Kyle for so long. He's got stuff to do. He's a very busy man. Very important, as you can tell. So whatever. Um, <laughs> I just I'm just you- an old man. I can't stay up late. <laughs> <laughs> we just we just want to know. Uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts on this particular theme, Kyle? Because we'd love to hear them. Just take take it away. Well, I'll kind of come back to where I began. Uh, I think that so much of monster movies and horror films is about consumption. It's about uh, insatiable drives, whether it's for violence or for blood or for or for flesh. And it manifests in so many different monsters, supernatural and otherwise. Uh, even the more more pedestrian thrillers with with regular human being monsters. And so it does give us pause that this whole idea of monstrosity 
is founded on that idea of taking what doesn't belong to you and taking it beyond uh, acceptable amounts or doses. And so what does that mean? What does it mean that our, our kind of our entire canon of horror really does kind of boil down to this idea of, of a misapplied economic theory? And so I think what, what we're talking about tonight is great at focusing on this kind of specific subgenre, but the ramifications of what we're talking about really do apply to almost any horror film, because uh, to me, that's one of the key features that we're going to look at. Nice. Very well said. That's excellent. So at this point, um, let's wrap up our review of uh, Dawn of the Dead 1978, and we'll start with the man whose favorite film it is, Kyle Bishop. Let us know your rating of Dawn of the Dead. Well, it will come as no surprise to anyone that I, I rate Dawn of the Dead a 10 out of 10. Uh, I honestly think it's the best zombie movie that's been produced. It's definitely kind of the, the high point that everybody else is trying to achieve or imitate or or reach once again. It, it doesn't necessarily have all the production values of some of the newer stuff, but I think it's the most sophisticated, the most emotionally rewarding. And it's really a landmark film. Zombie fans have got to have it, and horror fans really should have it. And frankly, they should have the... I'm looking at it right now. The Ultimate Edition, which has the original, the theatrical, the international. It has all the versions, and nice. everyone should study it often and carefully <laughs> if they want to be considered aficionado. He never drives it. He just rubs it with a diaper. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, awesome. And what, what do you say, uh, Dr. Shock? Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite movies as well. It's in my top 10. I give it a 10 out of 10 as well. It's, for me, the best of the Romero zombie films and, obviously, just by default, the best zombie film ever made. And it is one that I can return to time and time again and enjoy it just as much uh, with each successive viewing. And I do have that ultimate edition with all of the different versions uh, as well. So it's a, yeah, 10 out of 10 and, and worth definitely worth putting in the collection okay wolfman josh well you guys are gonna be a little bit annoyed with me i i i think it's it's obviously a landmark film it's it's a very important horror and zombie film it's not my favorite even day of the dead tops that for me pretty easily true i i think this is a great film i've got problems with it just tonally, I don't love the tone. Sometimes I don't, it's just it's just not exactly what I what I like in a in a zombie movie. And and my biggest problem with it is ironically are the zombies. I think they're unfortunately Kyle mentioned the production values. I just don't love the look of the zombies. Smurf zombies is what you're saying. And, and it's not just the Smurf zombies. Some <laughs> of it is it's the performance. There are some really bad zombie performances in the movie that bug me. And again, it's, and it's not just the color, the Smurfy color. It's like there are shots where oh like that makeup wasn't applied very effectively. Like he didn't do it around his eyes or something. And <laughs> that kind of stuff just takes me out of the movie. I'm not going to dock it much for that. I'm going to give it a nine still. And it's still a buy, but I can't give it a perfect score. Kyle Bishop is steaming at you right now for saying Smurf zombies. No, they you, are you said Smurf zombies. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't hear. I didn't hear Josh say Smurf zombies. <laughs> I'm just messing. I'm just in messing. My, in my book, I refer to them as strangely blue. Mm -hmm. So, uh, <laughs> 
I concede it. Indeed they are. And in fact, I always reveal myself and embarrass myself by telling people, if you have kids, there is actually a Smurf zombie episode of the Smurfs. It's called Purple Smurf. They go around biting each other and they turn purple. It is very zombie-esque. Kyle, I'd love to read about that in your next zombie book. I am talking about it in my next book. Oh, cool. Okay. (laughs) There you go. So see, it's relevant, everybody. Yeah, for me, Dawn of the Dead, it's like in my top 15 horror films. It used to be in my top 10, but I realized Day of the Dead is definitely my favorite Romero film. Love Day of the Dead. And as we mentioned, the blue zombies kind of bugged me a little bit too. This is an 8.5 out of 10, but still a buy. It's a must-see for sure. I'm not obsessed with it like a lot of people, but I certainly respect and appreciate it. And I actually love the remake quite a bit as well. So there you go. Mm. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) And just so the listeners know, because I don't want people getting mad at me thinking I was... uh, you know, hurrying Kyle off. He he told me he only had an hour and I figured that if I respected his time that he would be more apt to come back soon because we have <laughs> we have talked about um some ideas coming up in the future episodes where Kyle's gonna pop on and we got some good themes planned, right, Kyle? Yes we do. Uh we're gonna we're we're gonna wait until the film Maggie comes out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the release date is on that, but I wanna do a state of the zombie movie. Because uh, that's kind of where I'm at in my career. I'm kind of trying to decide if it's if it's where we're at and where I'm at with it. So I definitely want to do that. Uh, and then we want to is we we want to do some stuff with the '70s, absolutely. Oh yes, and, and see some other new films as they come out. So so uh, I am I'm very much interested in in coming back on, especially if the episode like this one is focused primarily on making fun of Jay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they always are, actually. But um, yes, that's really important to me. <laughs> so, do we also work in um, when we do that Maggie episode in the state of the zombie? Uh, are we also going to talk about The Walking Dead? Because I know that's one of your passions. Well, that's that's up to you guys. Because this is technically a, a movie podcast, but I would be more than happy to do uh, to do some stuff on The Walking Dead, which I'm quite invested in. Oh yeah. And I think that's definitely part of the the state of the modern zombie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think I think horror is thriving on television right now, and I'd love to kind of talk more about that. Um, why we're getting such great horror narratives on TV, which was kind of unheard of in the past. Although you did have some great anthology shows that had some horror uh, elements. So there's there's lots that I would like to uh, to continue to talk to with you guys about. All right. Well, we'll have you back anytime you can make it. We'd love it. And Kyle's got a great book, which we've plugged before, but we should definitely plug again, American Zombie Gothic, um, where he actually has an entire chapter devoted to this topic that we're discussing, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Recently reduced in in price. So check it out on Amazon. (laughs) And uh, hopefully within a year, I'll have a follow-up book, uh, which will have a lot more contemporary and current material in it that I think will be uh, worth the read for those of you who are fans of the material. Yes, yes. And um, you can follow Kyle on Twitter at Dr. Walking Dead. That's D-R Walking Dead. And uh, gives a lot of good tweets there, too. You you actually review stuff. You talk about stuff all all on your Twitter account. I, I try to use Twitter to make people, you know, make it worth their time. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so he's definitely I'm a worth giver. following. I, I give back. <laughs> you sure do, buddy. Well, well, thanks for being here, Kyle. It was great to catch up with you. Thanks again. for having me on. It was good talking to you guys. Thanks, Kyle. Yes. Good night. Take care. Overnight at this Texas Walmart pandemonium. I'm a lean, mean Black Friday machine. What time did you get here? About 1:45. Wednesday. It is crazy. I believe it. This is crazy. I hope it's worth it. Whoa, there's a new thing in the market. It's called a cell phone. I've never heard of one before. I'm going to wait in line for five hours to go buy the newest one. Yeah. All right. And at this point, let's move into our little feature discussion of Chopping Mall from 1986. They broke into the mall for the wildest all night party of their lives. A dead meat. But you're never alone in the chopping mall. What's that? Robot life. Chopping mall. Where shopping costs you an arm and a leg. So we move from the Monroeville Mall in Pennsylvania to one of the world's most famous malls, uh, the Sherman Oaks Mall. And I, I think it's famous not not as a mall, but as a filming location. This, this mall has been in so many movies. It's, it was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, and then it was in um, Terminator Two, uh, Chopping Mall, of course, that we're talking about today, Commando, um, and it's it's funny the same actress Kelly Maroney, who um, is kind of the lead, I suppose. Would you call her the lead of of Chopping Mall? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she definitely she definitely well. becomes the lead. She's kind of our right. final girl. It's so funny because she is an actress was was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. She was in Night of the Comet, and oh. she was in Chopping Mall, and all three of those films take place in the same shooting location, the Sherman Oaks Mall. <laughs> it's, almost so like she, she, it's almost like she's part of the package. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you, if you want to shoot at the mall, it needs to star Kelly Maroney. <laughs> there you go. Now, maybe she's materialistic. Maybe she's like me, and she loves Black Friday. <laughs> so this movie was originally called Killbots, and that's basically what you're getting here. And I think, unfortunately, when you hear the name Chopping Mall, to me that conjures up a great '80s slasher, and that's exactly, that's what you want to yeah. see with a title like Chopping Mall. Yes, Killbots is probably more descriptive of what this film is. Although Chopping Mall is a great title, but basically what you've got here is this new mall security system that consists of five robots that are going to keep watch over the mall by night. And they're not allowed to go into stores. They're not allowed to kill anyone, but they disable the people. And if you have a badge, they're supposed to leave you alone. Of course, all of this immediately goes haywire. Uh, And on a night where you have a bunch of typical, (laughs) terrible 80s teens (laughs) spending their (laughs) evening in, in the in the mall and so um you know you've got your um the perfect situation for a big body count and a lot of topless teenagers that are going to be have their heads exploded and and all <laughs> kinds of great things so it's this is this is as 80s 
horror as you can get, except for due to the robots, it feels a little bit more like a sci-fi movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, fun, but doesn't, doesn't hold up super well. Right. It's weird thinking about the robots in the movie. Yeah. Because this is like the year before, um, short circuit. Right. Mm-hmm. And to compare these to Johnny five. Yeah. It's almost embarrassing. Exa- every time I saw them, that's what I was thinking. Same. Yeah, same. It's almost embarrassing for these robots. Like, oof. right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it's, you know what? It, I didn't see this movie in the eighties. I think if I did, I might hold it in a little higher regard mm-hmm. than I do now. You know, the whole nostalgic thing. And there are things about it that I did like as the movie was opening and that the, uh, the title opening uh, credit sequence, the montage of, uh, you know, at, at the mall. Uh, some of it was a little goofy, but there were things that reminded me of, you know, when, when I was a teenager and, and, and me and my friends would spend our Fridays, Saturdays hanging out at the mall and playing in the arcade and eating in the food court. And, and, it, and as a matter of fact, we were doing that in 1986 when this movie came out. So <laughs> there was, it, it did remind me of that. And I kind of was, I enjoyed that about it. Um, and while I'll agree with you definitely, Josh, about, about some of the characters, I did like the fact that they had that married couple in there. Yeah, That's that not something that. you normally get in these kind of movies, like a married couple that, that genuinely care for one another. And that hangs out with teenagers and has orgies at a mall after yeah. hours. Well, that's a little <laughs> bit, yeah, that's a little bit strange, but I, I like that they threw in this married couple and that's not something you normally get. Normally it's just these teens that have, that have paired off. You know, and here are two people who have committed to one another, um, yeah. and they end up there. So I liked that they had that, that those characters in there. But for me, the big problem with the movie was the robots. Yeah. You know, they just they, I there was never a moment where I felt any real tension from them. They were just clunky. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying it's probably the best they could have done with the budget they had. But like you were, I mean, Johnny Five, that's exactly what you're thinking. And Johnny Five had more personality, obviously, mm-hmm. than, than these things. And there's just never a point, even when they're, even when they are, you know, wreaking havoc and killing, I just never got that tension. I never got any, I, I never was afraid of these things. And this yeah. is, again, this is two years after Terminator. And so it's just like, right. man, we've seen some really scary robots. Right. And you're not it. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. These guys are not threatening. I, I don't see anything about them that's state of the art. I mean, okay, they shoot lasers and they have, they they have that. But I mean, other than that, they're just they're just. And how do they get up and down so quickly? I mean, you know, they're just clunky. Yeah, I I totally agree one hundred percent that the the problem of the monsters aren't scary is a huge problem. But then the best part about the monsters to me was the fact that they were only allowed in the corridors of the mall. They were forbidden in the actual stores. I thought yeah, that, but they don't really keep that rule, Jason. Right, but I no. mean, I, I thought that that was a good part of the the premise at first, and I was kind of excited about that, you know, but yeah, I, I agree that's another place where they I think I think that south. had a lot to that had a lot to do with the lightning strike out of clear air. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has a lot of really ridiculous plot contrivances. It's some terrible writing and some terrible acting. And I, I've got a little clip I wanted to share just to give people an idea 
of what we're dealing with here in terms of writing and performance, Jason, if you wouldn't mind uh, playing that for us. Mm-hmm. Here we go. You know, maybe we'll all stand a better chance. We split up. Are you kidding? The moment any one of us go out there, we're dead meat. Yesterday's news. Damn it, Freddie, will you stop it? Will you just stop it? Linda. Linda, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to upset you. I. It's all right. It's not you, Ferdy. I guess I'm just not used to being chased around a mall in the middle of the night by killer robots. (laughs) That sounds like... That sounds, I guess I'm just not used a, to being chased around a mall in the middle of the night by killer robots. That's a table read right there is what that yeah. sounded like. Wow. I, 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 that, yeah, like and, and, a, and a first draft. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this thing is filled, and I mean filled, with 80s slang. I mean, like dead meat. I mean, they say 80s stuff right and left in this. So it's kind of hilarious. Like you could almost, you know, I'm not a beer guy, but I'm just saying you could almost do like a, a drinking game to the, the 80s <laughs> stuff. Like you're hanging right. out with Boss Butcher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's talk about this in relation to our theme. I mean, to me, that is, it's perfect and in, in so many ways. I mean... Starting with this concept of the robots, I, you know, you, you're in the 80s and the mid 80s, and you're in this era where protecting the mall right. <laughs> by far trumps human life at this point, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Like technology, Uber Allis, they're clearly like, they're just going to let this thing roll without any test, without any contingency, without anybody monitoring to make sure that the first night of this new operation goes well. Because you know what? It's it's new technology. It's gonna be fine. And what's and, and most important? The mall. Mm-hmm. Right. And that that's what gets me more than anything. It's like, okay, the, the killers um go haywire. I mean the killers, the robots go haywire, start killing people as a result of the lightning strike that you know, that, that happened without any rain or clouds or anything like that. But they, that's what happened. Yet they were <laughs> equipped with lasers. Oh, right. So they put lasers in these things saying, okay, well, nothing really bad's going to happen, but let's give them lasers in case they need lasers to protect <laughs> the mall. Exactly. It's not just like any laser. Like it could at least be the Star Trek set phasers to stun. Yeah, exactly. These no, lasers no, blow up people's heads occasionally. Right. <laughs> right. Because so- if anybody breaks into the mall, damn it, they deserve it. <laughs> yeah. So the message of this film, Josh, then what you're saying is that, yeah, the, these material things are more important than human life. So that takes precedence. And that's that's the message we get from this film. Well, then you look at the human life, right? Mm-hmm. And that's these just the most these kids are just devoid of anything redeemable for the most part. Right. I mean, yeah, you've got the married couple. You've got the nerds who are kind of your main characters. Right. But for the most part, for the other ones, the other ones are just stereotypes let's put them in there to be killed but also vacuous like the chick is manipulating the guy for sex to do her bidding Mm -hmm. and then he does and he is laying on the ground spoiler alert with his throat slashed and her (laughs) reaction to him is so weird wake up wake up right now that's it if you really respond to me i'm leaving for good it's like oh my gosh somebody kill this chick mm. yeah and i know that's typical 80s to some degree 
you know, to set up these people you want to see get killed. But it's not like you've got this really compelling killer in these movies. Right. And I think to me, this is speaking to this generation, right? I think that's the movies also this commentary. Yeah. You first, you've got these big corporations or these, these people who are putting their commodities above human life. But at the same time, you've got this generation of young people who have no respect for personal property, have no respect for the rules are just completely devoid of any redeeming characteristics. Uh So it's almost like it's all almost justifiable. It's almost like, well, that's why we don't value these human, (laughs) these teenager lives. Well, these, these are mall people. These are people who, who work and live and want to spend their free time in the mall. Yeah. Another thing that rubbed me the wrong way was there's a, a sequence uh, early in the movie after the lightning strike when these things have, you know, we get the feeling, okay, now they're going to go crazy. But in the control room, something happens with the first guy and then um, his, his, his co-worker comes walking in, played by the guy who was in Used Cars. He was in Child's Play 2. I can't remember the actor's name, but I, it's like one of those faces you recognize him right away. Mm-hmm. He comes walking in, he sits down. Okay, now these robots, we're led to believe they've now, they're ballistic, they're killers, but they sneak up on them. <laughs> and they just do it very, like they, they're pretending like, okay, yeah, we're <laughs> shut down. They move close. Oh, no, we're shut down. Yeah. Move close. You know, so it's not like they are out of control. They're very much in control. You know, like the lightning has almost yeah. given them a sentience or something. Mm. They're there to kill. <laughs> I mean, speaking kill, of, yeah. speaking of um, little cameos, you know, you've got, Dick Miller in there, which is always, he's always yeah. fun to see. And then we should say this movie is produced by Corman, um, you know, and, and has kind of some of those trademark Corman isms, but I don't know, Jason, I get the feeling that you think, well, maybe this isn't really go, You know, you mentioned that with De- Dawn of the dead was, was Romero really trying to do this stuff. It sounds like you're maybe a little skeptical that this movie <laughs> was shooting for some of these messages that, that we're talking about here, well, or if it's just a bad film? That's a good question. Well, I, I think it is definitely plausible, especially since, you know, so many people appreciate Dawn of the Dead. It came out in 1978. This is 1986. So there could have been a little bit of, um, you know, going for that that same vein. But mostly, I think maybe they were capitalizing on the the popularity of the mall, like the 80s mall vibe. And that just made a really good setting because that's where teenagers like to hang out. So I, I don't know. I just wish so much, though. I mean, I think everybody says the same thing about this film. And that's, man, you read the title, you think it's going to be a, a slasher in the mall. That is the first thing you think of. And I yeah. think that's part of the reason why they did that. I believe they released it as Killbots and it didn't do well. Right. And, and, and really, Killbots... I mean, as lame and as cheesy as that sounds, those robots look like that's exactly what they should be called, killbots. So I think right. it's so. If if you listeners out there, if you have not seen Chopping Mall, then when we say killbots, that's exactly what you're getting in this movie. It's what just like that sounds to you. That's how this movie is to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of horror staple types of moments it's got you know the the monster turning on its master frankenstein style in a way you know it mm-hmm. and, you know that, that happens a lot with sci-fi movies obviously it's not following 
the three rules, the three rules. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, but that is age old horror conceit to, you know, to turn on, you know, the, the monster turning on the master. But then you've also got like, you know, you know, that kind of vacuous teen stuff I mentioned, it also kind of fits in with, you know, the typical Friday the 13th reading of, you know, they're killing these people who are having sex. You and know, it is another, and that is another staple of the slasher genre. Are those yes, type exactly. of characters? Mm-hmm. And, and, and essentially this movie operates as a slasher. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. want to send people down too far the wrong road with the killbot thing. It, it just, to me, the robots make it less interesting, but in terms of the kills, if you're an 80s slasher fan, um, you know, I mean, it still has a lot of these trademarks of a slasher film. It's just. That's true. You just don't have I, that I, stalker. You mentioned that the head explosion. I thought that was actually pretty well done considering how low budget this was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty graphic. Like you see this head explode. There's still like teeth in the head as like bits right. are falling. I mean, it's pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah. And it. And I think that's probably the the biggest redeeming quality, other than the 80s charm, which I know a lot of people like that kind of nostalgia feel. Um, you know, the kills are entertaining at the very least because they're so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of wacky and wild and um, some of them go pretty far, right? Yeah, so. definitely. And, you know, I think, you know, the other interesting thing here is it kind of plays like a video game. You know, the start of the opening montage, it has like this typical 80s. And actually, I think it opens really well. I think the opening is one of the strongest moments of the film. I agree. It's showing the lady carrying kind of her tray of food. And, this, and like, with those here. generic Coke cups they always used to have yeah. back then. Just everything was put in these Coke cups, no matter what you got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's really unsettling the way that yeah. they shoot that. And the mute and this, you know, the soundtrack right there is pretty unsettling. Mm-hmm. I think with her, there's this eerie sound. And but then it also has this flashy '80s stuff with the kid on the skateboard and people playing their video games. And I think the whole movie has that video game thing to it. I mean, they're obviously all the different levels of the mall, but you know, they're fighting these robots and you know, and and and, and much like a video game style, they're shooting their lasers and they're pulling out all these machine guns and like these kids suddenly have access to all of these things and. You know, one of you know they even try a kill from Jaws at one point, basically. So I think it's it's a pretty pop culture rich film in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. and I think I think that definitely plays a role in the movie as well. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those like so many others. It's one of those oddities of the '80s, and you know, in one sense, I'm glad we have it. I just, I, I mean, anything would have been better than those robots in it. And if the monsters weren't those robots, then, then I, th- I would have been a lot happier with the film, but cause it's just, it's hard. It's really hard to feel any type of threat or scariness, even though the kills are kind of extreme. It's like, yeah, but these look like something out of the Sears, uh, wish book catalog, you know, back in the day. <laughs> and and it's, it's, as opposed to feeling like frightened for the characters, you're almost embarrassed for them that these robots took them out. (laughs) (laughs) That's well said. I think that's exactly right. What do you guys got anything else to say about uh, chopping mall before we wrap it up? I mean, it's a terrible movie, but I like that it uses the location. Well, you know, they use Mm -hmm. kind of all of the mall elements in it. They've got the, 
the same kind of idea um, of Dawn of the Dead occasionally of kind of like arming themselves from within the mall. I, I like that. Um, mm-hmm. I like that they use these mannequins as, as kind of like one of their strategies. That's oh. cool. You know? Um, yes. I like that they use the air ducts. Now, of course, this comes out in 86, the same year as Aliens. It's hard to, it's hard to give this movie much credit if you're thinking about the air duct scene and the, this is the same year as Aliens. But Yeah, true. <laughs> but still, like, you know, you got to give them some credit. They were using their location and thinking about how to work in the elevator and the escalator and these mannequins and all this stuff into the fabric of their story. I use that pretty loosely that term fabric of their story <laughs> but um I anyway good. i don't know I, I think there's there's actually a lot going for it for how kind of terrible it is those are good points and, and there is a there is one scene also that um if anything it it, it it unnerves you and it takes place in a in a pet store you know where where a character had to be quiet but yet mm-hmm. um the, these these tarantulas are, are set loose and are, are cry. I mean, I, I that yeah. <laughs> and snakes too. Yeah, the snakes they didn't play up as much as the tarantulas, obviously. But the tarantulas alone, I don't even know. If, I don't even think you needed the snakes. I think the tarantulas alone would would get enough people because uh, seeing those big things coming at me, that would have that would have gotten to me too. And I don't know if I could have stayed quiet in that situation. <laughs> um, and another thing I thought was interesting is even back in the eighties, I don't remember them using actual glass hmm. on on the. I mean, so much glass is broken. Yeah. In this movie, and some of it quite easily. I mean, all all the all the lead girl has to do is cover her head a little bit and walk forward, and she could shatter the glass. <laughs> right. So are you talking about in the design of the mall or in the actual action of the scene? Do you think it was just sugar glass? Does it mean that is that what you're referring to? Or are you talking about the design of the mall itself? I'm thinking the design of the mall. I mean, I even when I was I don't I don't remember it. I remember it being sort of like the I don't know, what is that, like the plexiglass and not, not actual glass mm-hmm. right. used for these things. And I don't know that it's something that you could just break as easily as it was being broken in this i mean they i mean it happens at least what half a dozen times i'm gonna <laughs> guess i mean maybe that's a little i but they're, they're throwing things through it they're walking through it they're breaking this glass to get into these stores even the robots do it a few times by rolling forward and it's not just okay well i knocked the glass over it shatters mm-hmm. you know and i guess that's the effect they were going for in the movie that was something that they that you know that, that they were shooting for but um, I just was trying to remember because even back then, I mean, a lot of malls have the cages on them. They don't have the glass. Yeah. They pull that cage down to sort of keep everything safe. That's what I remember. That's the mall I used to go to. That's what they used. Same. But even the ones that had these sort of glass doors, I don't remember them being actual glass. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Totally. And I thought it was an end. Another thing you mentioned about the cameo with Dick Miller, but you had Paul Bartel and I think it's Mary Warrenoff in it. And by yeah. seeing them, it reminded me that it's been way too long since I've seen Eating Raul. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that they put them both in here um, from Eating Raul. And also she is in um, Night of the Comet with the actor who plays Raul. So I don't know. There was, there was a lot of weird. That's right. Robert Beltran was, yeah, it was, a in, lot of was in that. Yeah. Cross-pollination going on in these movies during this period in the Sherman Oaks Mall. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. So – um Dr. Shock, what do you rate Chopping Mall from 1986? I, I don't know that I can really recommend it. There were things about it that I thought were interesting, but the robots, 
it was it was just a, a fail. I mean, it, they just didn't work. There was really never a moment when I mean, even with their the, their voices, you know, with Jim Jim Wynorski, the director was the one who provided the voice for these things. Um, it, it, I, I never found I just never found them interesting even. Hmm. Um, so I'm gonna have to go with uh, I'm gonna go with a four, and I I think it's an avoid. Oh, okay. Wow. I'm surprised by that, and and that's fine. But, I mean, you're a man who appreciates all sorts of cinema. And, and in fact, I, I've gotten to the point where um, sometimes, to me, you're Dr. Shock, and other times you're Dr. Schlock, because you like the Schlock <laughs> films and stuff. So, and I um, do. And, and, and maybe that is a little harsh, because there are things about this that I like that I've already touched on. Okay. You know, I like yeah. that they threw the married couple in there. And I, and I, do, I do like the, 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 the main couple there. You know the guy who was in head of the class and and um, uh, uh, Kelly Maroney. Um, I liked yeah. that opening sequence. I uh, with with uh, you know the way they had the the, the montage of like life at the mall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the setting of the mall, and I agree that I think they did some interesting things with that. But when you have a movie about killer robots with robots that are more of a joke than anything else, <laughs> I don't see how I can tell people, yes, you got to go. You got to go see this. I mean, that's what I'm hinging it on. Gotcha. It is about the robots and they don't work. OK, I gotcha. All right. What do you say, Wolfman Josh? Well, I think, you know, on the topic of our theme, um, this consumerism stuff, I think it does pretty well. I don't think it's. um it's obviously not on the level of Dawn of the Dead, but I think it there's stuff there if you want to dissect it. I think I think it's in the text, so to speak. So I appreciate that about it. I, it's not my favorite of these consumerism films. I think even comparing it to uh, Night of the Comet, there's some better. It's a way better movie, and there's a lot of a lot more interesting kind of consumerism stuff uh to discuss discuss there same with the stuff and halloween 3 season of the witch um but i think for people who are big slasher fans 80 slasher fans and if you don't mind a little sci-fi in there and if you feel like you've seen them all but you haven't heard of this one i think that's when this is really worth checking out because it's like it, it still follows that slasher formula it's underwhelming. Like, you know, mm. you can obviously tell by the conversation we're having. It's not a, it's not an incredible film, but you know, I mean, it's, it's produced by Corman. So you kind of know what you're getting into there. And, um, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I don't mean that as a put down. I think there are people who love <laughs> Corman's films. And I, think I normally do. I'm one of them. I normally am. A, I love Roger Corman. I don't love them all, but I do like a lot of them. Doc's feeling bad right now, Josh. No, no, no! I'm not. I'm. I'm sticking by it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just for messing me, with for, you. <laughs> for, the, the, for me, the the robots really are that poor. Yeah, and for me, like the sum is worse than the parts. If that makes sense, because I think there are a lot of interesting things happening in the movie, but it doesn't necessarily add up to a great film. Um, and so I think, like, even though my rating as a film is probably down in the like in the four area. Maybe even three point five, four. I still think it's worth a rental, especially again, like if you're kind of in that camp of like, I love eighty slashers, I've seen them all. Um, here's one that you may not have seen that might be worth giving a whirl. You know, it's it's definitely fun. It's a movie you can laugh at if you like those so bad they're good movies. This would probably be much more enjoyable with a group of friends because there's a lot to laugh at, and it is ridiculous. Mm. It's so ridiculous. 
Yes, it is. So for me, this is a four and it's a rental. Okay. <laughs> well, that's great. I actually agree with um, basically everything that you guys said. I, I really do. But to me, it's an 80s oddity. I think it's worth seeing just because it's weird. I think Dr. Shock hit it right on the head. He nailed it when he said, this is probably a movie that if you saw it in the 80s, that you probably have this nostalgia love yes. for it. Which yeah. which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Greg Amortis loves this movie. So mm-hmm. that's that's an example of that very phenomenon right there. And yeah, so for me, yeah, I saw this later as well, like you, Doc. But um, but I like 80s stuff. I, I love killer clowns from outer space. Now, those monsters are cool to me, but... That's got a lot more originality. Or it, it does. It I mean, it's definitely better, but I'm just saying I love Killer Clowns from Outer Space. So I can appreciate something offbeat and weird like this. Um, yeah, we've said it a billion times. The robots are terrible, but because of the, the, the slasher-esque uh, structure of the film and the kills are kind of out there, I think it's an oddity worth checking out. So, I mean, for me... I, it's a four to me as well, but I still say it's a low priority rental. As we wrap this up, I got a special message here specifically for Snowy Otter. Snowy Otter, this episode is dedicated to you, and here's why. <laughs> I know you were excited to have us talk about Videodrome tonight, and um, I even said we were going to in the message boards there, but we did not get to it, um, and <laughs> so I apologize, but... We will work this in at some point. Like that one and American Psycho were on our list, but they're not like, as you mentioned in the comments, they're not 100% horror. I mean, there are horror elements and stuff, but I'm going to try to figure out a way to work in Videodrome or moreover, maybe even a better fit, um, Josh, would be, you know, to cover it at some point on Movie Podcast Weekly. It's just, I'm always struggling with the whole keeping the genre Pure. I don't have a problem with that because I think there are different facets of horror. I mean, even with Chopping Mall, you could call it a sci-fi movie or whatever. But, you know, I think for one thing, we just had a pretty crazy week between for Jason, especially releasing three episodes edit within a week. And um, we just decided to focus on Dawn of the Dead because it was the best at showing this theme. And, you know, for me, I would have said maybe... American Psycho was second best, or maybe the stuff or something was second best. But, you know, we just we decided to go with Choppy Mall because we thought, well, maybe that will be the most horrific of uh, <laughs> of the films there are left to discuss. And we've already discussed the stuff on the show. We've already discussed Halloween 3 on the show. So Choppy Mall was the decision there. And, and, what and, it, pe- and it does fit in with the whole mall theme, too. I mean, with mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead. I mean, Absolutely. We could, we could, Look at it with the, and Night of the Comet. Well. Although I would love to discuss Night of the Comet, it also is pretty light on the horror elements. So yeah, and I think what people don't realize that we do, like for example, um, just bring this up real quick. We had uh, a listener uh, recommend that you check out the movie Were or Where, however you want to pronounce it, W E R, and um, and Josh, 
I was getting ready to cover that. I actually got it from Redbox to cover it, and you said that we should do it in one of our themed episodes. So a lot of these things, they fit in a couple of different places in themed episodes, and there are movies that we're actually saving. Like It might be, it might seem weird to you, for example, that we didn't talk about um, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead very in-depth tonight. Well, that's probably going to end up in a theme episode at some point. So, right. you know, a lot and, of, you know, and then, it, and it was interesting to me that it didn't, he didn't pull in those ideas of consumerism as much as Romero did, you know? So, mm, I mean, yeah. it was worth bringing up in that context, but under the specific theme didn't fit quite as well. Okay. Yes. So snowy otter, this one's for you and, uh, we will try to make it up to you somehow. I'm sorry. We'll I- someday <laughs> do a Cronenberg episode or something. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. We could, and Cronenberg does have there you go. some legitimate horror movies, obviously in, 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 I mean, with, with scanners, with there the brood, go. with rabid, um, the fly, baby, the fly, especially. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There you go. So, um, yeah, we will make it up to you, and I'm sorry I blatantly lied to you in the comment board. So, last thing before we wrap up, and I promise is it, because it's late for Dr. Shock. We got a an iTunes review, which I always love. I can't tell you how much this excites me. I love it when you guys leave iTunes reviews. Thank you. It's The title is The Final Destination in Horror. You guys like that? That's good. That is good. Yeah. Five stars. This is by Crazy Whack Funk. And... It says, I am going to cut to the chase and make this short and sweet. I'm almost 45 years old and have been a horror fan my entire life. I discovered this podcast on my own a year ago, and it was like finding long-lost friends. I didn't realize how much I missed talking about horror movies until I heard these guys. Now I live vicariously through them, knowledgeable, passionate, funny, and most importantly, honest and sincere. Look no further. Horror Movie Podcast is the be-all and all for all your horror cravings. So we want to thank wow. Crazy That's Whack great. Funk for that amazing uh, review. We crazy Whack Funk. <laughs> really <laughs> awesome. appreciate that. So, um, okay, Josh, what do you got for us? Well, I just, you know, I talked about doing a giveaway for Black Friday. So um, this book, it's really great by Jonathan Penner. It's a, uh, it's just a coffee table book. It's not as in depth as something like Carl's book. It's just, you know, it's, it's a nice book to have on your coffee table. It's got some beautiful photographs. It's called horror cinema and, uh, we're going to give it away. But what nice. I want to, you guys to do for our listeners is, um, come to horrormoviepodcast.com, leave a comment and tell us what your favorite film about consumerism is <laughs> your favorite horror film about consumerism <laughs> in episode 35, right? Exactly. Okay. So you're gonna you're gonna write a comment, and maybe it's Dawn of the Dead, maybe it's the stuff, maybe it's Videodrome, American Psycho. It could be something we didn't even discuss that we. That's didn't what I want. I'd be interested to see if any come up that that we haven't um, that that we didn't address. What other people are looking at as consumer. That would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. So tell us the name of the film and tell us a little bit about why. I want to. We want some uh, defense of your of your argument in there, and then for everybody that does that, I'm gonna put your name in a hat and draw it out and the winner will get uh this horror cinema coffee table book by jonathan penner and hopefully we'll still have jonathan penner and his wife stacy title on the show coming up soon in the future that'd be awesome okay that just about wraps up episode 35 of horror movie podcast we thank you for listening and we hope you've enjoyed our show we want to thank our co-host kyle bishop who took the time out to stop by 
Um, you know, he's super busy during this time of year, and we're grateful that he was here. And I just want to kick it over now to my co-host here and see if they have any plugs. I know Dr. Shock has some exciting stuff coming up for us. So, uh, Dr. Shock, tell us. Uh, yeah, I'm actually um, finally uh, buckling down, and I'm going to be putting some ebooks out uh, based on um, you know a lot of what's on DVD infatuation right now. I'm going to be compiling them into into sort of theme themed ebooks. And I've got a few in mind right now, one of which is going to be uh, a look at uh, – I've, I've taken a look at a lot of uh, independent horror films uh, or you know, a good number of independent horror films. And I'm going to put one of those together, probably about 50 movies. Uh, and then I have another one that's, that's um, geared towards the um, – uh, it's going to be called Cinematic Oddities where I take a look at some of the stranger films that I've seen, um, you know, during this, this challenge of mine. And, um, and I'm going to just start releasing eBooks on, on a regular basis. They're going to be very, uh, you know, reasonably priced. Uh, and one thing I'd like to do, especially with, uh, the, the independent horror movie one, I'd like to, once I get this assembled, uh, I was thinking of giving some free copies out to some of our listeners and uh, you know and and in exchange for an honest review i'm not looking for you know anybody blowing smoke up my you know what uh or, or you know i'm looking for people to come out and 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 give me an honest review on, on amazon uh as to what you thought of it you know let me know um you know what you think but i would like to do that exclusively to the listeners of um, horror movie podcast because uh, I know we have some some great listeners out there, very intelligent listeners, and I'd really be interested in in uh, in hearing some feedback from you guys. Uh, and I'm going to be doing these ebooks on a, on a regular clip. I have a few more ideas in mind. I'm going to put one together: movies about movies, uh, which will cover documentaries, but also things you know, like Robert Altman's The Player or Shadow of the Vampire. Uh, you know, movies where the cinema is a major theme. Uh, in the film, uh, just a, just an idea that I have, and I'm going to be doing this on a, r- a regular basis now, uh, just because I think it's really the next step that I have to that I that I want to take it. So um, yeah, and as I as it, I, nothing to really throw out there at this point, but as we get closer, um, I'll, uh, I'll I'll make further announcements about this, and and maybe get some people figure out a way to to sort of send me the information, and I will definitely get you a, a free copy of that book just to you know just because i'd be really interested to hear what you'd all have to say nice yeah they can they can just email us super cool at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com if you're interested in that and i'll you know i'll send ahead your address your email to dr shock there and uh and then you you just pick from them doc is that how you can do it uh, yeah i mean i i can send it out to uh to however many i'm i'm not um really going to 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 limit this um, well, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm not going to send out 500, but I don't know that we'll get that many responses anyway. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, send it along, and, and once it is complete, uh, I'll, I'll forward it on to you. That's awesome. So when I buy one, will you autograph it for me? Um, sure, I'll send you my digital autograph. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that don't know what that'll mean, but uh, I, I, I do I do it for my taxes when I file online. So sure, Jay, I can I, I can send you that. I tried to get Josh to sign his uh, documentary Clean Flicks for me, and he didn't do it. 
Well, I don't want to be pretentious over here. I know, but if Actually, somebody asks, one of the things is that that I, I'm I'm keeping for um, I'm saving for the book on movies about the cinemas. I definitely want to include Blitz in that. Oh yes. Oh shoot! I was going to send you a copy and I totally spaced it. Not a problem. I know you're very busy, sir. So that's. But I definitely would. I definitely would like to include that in that um in that upcoming uh, in in that book. Okay, well. I need to get on that. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> All right, and uh, th- thanks, Doc. It's very exciting, and I know that um, I'm excited about it, and I'm sure the listeners are too, so that's good news. Thank you. What do you got, Wolfman Josh, And by way of plugs? Not much. I'm just, you know, it's been a fun week. Um, you know, I think we released some pretty fun episodes this week between the Town of the Dreaded Sundown and the Bigfoot thing. Doc hasn't been with us too much, so I'm glad that we could all get together tonight, especially even with Kyle. It's pretty cool to have all four oh, of us together. Awesome, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fun. So, um, <laughs> so thanks. Uh, and just check out all these great episodes we've got out recently. I'm really happy with the way the Bigfoot episode came out with Eduardo Sanchez and uh, Boss Butcher was our guest on there. But also... You know, we've got two more episodes coming up with more Eduardo Sanchez interviews, so that's going to be really cool too. I'm looking forward to those. Mm-hmm. And he and, and he, just, was, and he was super open, and and you know he 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 wasn't holding back. I mean, he was letting us know. You know, he's uh, with uh, you know with everything. It was it was really a great interview. Yeah, it really was. It was I, cool. I, I was very impressed with that guy, and um, you know, I I, I would like to think. I would like to hope that our listeners know this about us. I think they do, but you know, I was <laughs> I a part of me almost wished that we had ended up reviewing Exists like long before that interview because you know, we have the review of Exists and we're all raving about it and then we have an interview with its director and I'm like, "Oh man, that's a bummer because we we were loving this film before we ever got the interview with him. We just truly love it, don't we, Josh?" Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I've become a huge fan. And not, again, not just because he allowed us to interview him or whatever. Like, I've become a huge fan of Eduardo Sanchez. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, I love the Blair Witch Project. I've always loved the Blair Witch Project. And I saw Altered when it came out on DVD, but I di- it didn't really have a huge impact on me at the time. But I rewatched it because I knew we were interviewing him. And I saw Exists before I even knew we were going to interview him. And mm-hmm. I, between those two movies, adding those to the to the pantheon with Blair Witch Project. He honestly is one of my favorite horror directors that's working right now. Yeah. I, I, and, I'm really anxious to check out Lovely Molly now. You got to. Oh, me too. It's, you guys, you got to you gotta do it. It's good. Um, absolutely. Check it out. And and I just wanted to, I'm glad we were talking about this and kind of making a big deal out of it because I'm worried that with such a close together releases, maybe people overlooked episode 34. So if you have no idea what we're talking about, we did our first part of our cryptozoological <laughs> horror part one on Bigfoot, and um, Josh lined us up with uh, an interview with director Eduardo Sanchez. So definitely now, are you just check saying that? Are you just saying that, Jason? Because our previous episodes, let's see, going back to like episode twenty-seven, there's like ninety comments, <laughs> and then. Uh, the next one, there's like 35, and then 50, and then, you know, it's in the 50s and 30s. Then it gets to this last week's releases, and it's five comments. Yeah. And so far, two comments on Cryptological Works. <laughs> maybe people are just on vacation for uh, Thanksgiving. That could be it. And then, and then before they get a chance to even comment on those, there'll, there'll be another one sitting in there waiting for them. Yeah. 
we're working hard over here so uh, show yeah. us a little love back yeah <laughs> i i do love this show and i love movie podcast weekly so um and thank everybody as always for your patience with getting those out so check out movie podcast weekly by the way if you like films of all genres uh, the Wolfman Josh is over there with me, and we fight like cats and dogs, and it I is a blast. I give him even more crap. I give him even more crap over there than I do here, if you can believe it. <laughs> you can't even believe how much. But um, yeah. if you liked that clip of Jason talking about his consumerism, then there's a lot more of that over on Movie Podcast Weekly. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, anyway, thank you for listening, and we're glad you guys were here tonight. And we love your comments, so uh, get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community, as we've said. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode, or in any episode for that matter. You can also email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. And our favorite thing is for you to leave us a, a voicemail, because we like hearing from you and playing your voicemails. And um, that number is 801-382-8789. You can find all our episodes, including the back archives of the weekly horror movie podcast, as well as Horror Metropolis, at our site, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe to this show free in iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. And I want to take time to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com have it linked in the show notes and once again just remember the best way you can help this show is to leave us a review in itunes and if you don't have itunes or whatever and you can't do that then you know you're welcome to send a donation and you can do that through the (laughs) the paypal buttons over at um, moviepodcastweekly.com our sister site and that goes to benefiting this show and we appreciate it so I think that's it for episode 35. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you did not get trampled at Walmart. I hope you've been listening to this while you've been out shopping. And we hope you had a good time. We thank you for listening. And you can join us again next Friday, actually, for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Let me see. You guys say hi. Hey, say hi. 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 What are we doing? I can tell. What is today? Is it Black Friday? Yes. We're here for the craziness? Yes. And we're about to watch all these people get in a crazy fight. Police say what happened here this morning was utter chaos. They call it a stampede. It was about 2,000 people lining up outside the store just before 5 o'clock this morning when the store was supposed to open. Some of the folks were chanting, open up, open up. But apparently the crew of the store didn't open the doors fast enough. And at one point, the crowd surged forward and literally pushed down the huge glass and aluminum doors. The doors knocked down this 34-year-old old sales clerk and while he lay on the ground as you said hundreds of people trampled over him the 34 year old man later died his cause of death is unclear at this point police are saying that he was trampled but they're not saying whether or not that was the cause of his death another great sadness in this whole story while this man lay on the ground with police trying to aid him shopping continued inside the store and people uh later on were carrying their uh their 
boxes and bags out right through what had become a crime scene. So for a lot of folks, uh, it didn't seem to matter what had happened.